0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit CAC.org.
1: Welcome to Season 1 of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr, exploring the core themes of his new book, The Universal Christ.
0: As mentioned previously, this podcast is recorded on the grounds of the Center for Action and Contemplation and may contain the quirky sounds of our neighborhood and setting. We are your hosts.
1: I'm Paul Swanson.
0: And I'm Bree Stoner. We're staff members of the Center for Action and Contemplation and students of this contemplative path, trying our best to live the wisdom of this tradition amidst shoveling snow, lost keys, and the shifting state of our world.
1: This is the ninth of 12 weekly episodes. Today we'll be discussing chapter 15, two witnesses to Jesus and Christ. This conversation takes us into the relationships that Mary Magdalene and Paul, from two different entry points, as two witnesses to Jesus and Christ. One more thing before we get started, Brie and I are having a blast being in conversation with Richard and we would love to hear what questions are arising for you as you listen to this podcast or read the book. So if you have a burning question related to the themes of the universal Christ that just won't leave you alone, head over to cac.org slash podcast and follow the instructions there to submit your question. After this season is over, we'll sift through the submissions, pour a glass of something tasty, ask Richard your questions, and then share his responses with all of you. Okay, Richard, we are going to dive into the chapter where you focus on Paul and Mary Magdalene. Mm. We're going to take some time to focus in on each one of them, but we thought before we take those individual deep dives that give you an opportunity to give a sense of the gestalt of their relationships to Jesus and the
2: Christ. You know, I remember when I was writing this chapter, I really thought the editors wouldn't like it. Because, okay, okay, you know, Paul, Mary Magdalene. Uh, But one of them, I remember telling me, this really, for me, captures the two different perspectives. And I said, that's exactly what I hoped it would do. He says, we have to keep it in the book. So I wanted people to know that a certain amount of people will start with the Christ experience, which if the truth is told is really everybody if christ is another name for everything we actually start with the universal we don't know it's christ yet so to try to give a name to this reality to to try to give face to it an interface we're told about jesus so a lot of us think jesus is our starting place and he practically is you understand and so it's it's uh, Paul and Mary Magdalene gave me just perfect examples right in the New Testament. Because as you know, I say, I believe Paul started with Christ, but in a very specific encounter with the universal Christ, and that led him to a love of Jesus. But really, he doesn't talk about Jesus that much. And you're shocked when you first hear that. He loves Christ. Huh? this cosmic Christ that we talk about. Whereas Mary Magdalene probably represents how many today would come to the Christ. They first fall in love with Jesus in a personal, relational, intimate, giving and receiving way. And then maybe without even knowing it, they universalize from the interface with Jesus to the interface with everything else. That's probably the more common way today. Well, maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But they're both true. And I think it's no accident that they're both pivotal figures in the New Testament. Even though, as you well know, Mary Magdalene was underplayed in most of history by putting on her a single image, which isn't even her main or correct image at all. So we lost a lot of good timing with Mary.
0: I was just about to ask you why you think we haven't paid more attention to Mary's unique role in in the Gospels.
2: Well, let's be honest. I I, I think it's on one level. I'm not saying it's the only level. But the patriarchal diminishment of the feminine and of the the woman's role and the woman's importance. All we could make her into was a sinner. And then without any evidence, we made her into a prostitute. Uh, If that doesn't reveal the problem, I don't know what it's going to take. That, of course, I know there's many Marys in the New Testament, and the stories did get confused. So I can let them off the hook a little bit. But the only text that really could be used to possibly say she was a prostitute was she was exercised of, was it 17? seven? Seven. Yeah. Seven. And, of course, the worst sin is always sex. Mm-hmm. So we we said that was her sin.
0: We just filled in the blank. Filled in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> and by we, Perfectly. I mean men. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: true. Yeah, so it... it uh, And yet that we find evidence in the early church. I don't know if I say this in the book. But they go back to sacramentaries in the first five centuries. And on the Feast of Mary Magdalene, the creed was sung. Now the creed was only sung, would still be the case, on the Feast of the Twelve Apostles and Jesus. And yet we sang it on July 22nd. Mm. Wow.
3: In the old
2: sacramentaries. Mm. Mm. So this shows... The early church honored her as an apostle, mm. gave her the dignity of an apostle. But suddenly, I don't know what century it is, 6th or 8th, we don't sing the Creed. Mm. Uh, she's no longer a major feast, mm. is what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. It's interesting because it seems like our um, you know, diminishment, the, the ways in which we have diminished her role, have coincided with the ways that we're missing the key story of her life and her example and how that points to the universal Christ. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if you could, just assuming if, if maybe some of our listeners don't know the story of the garden, could you describe the story of the garden and tell us what's so important about this, this moment um, when Jesus says, don't cling to me?
2: Yeah, that's John's rendition. Uh, that full account is only found in John's gospel which we usually assume John's gospel could have been written as late as the year 100 some say 110 but what that reveals to me is 70 years of reflection upon the Christ mystery we have a much more developed christology right that we've moved beyond the mere historical Jesus to unite Christ to Jesus So in general, John's gospel is about the Christ, and I don't think that's being naive, And whereas the three synoptics are about Jesus. I know that's dangerous to make that too glib, but it's in general true in my experience. So in John 21, is it? 20 and 21, there's this beautiful story of Mary coming to the tomb first, which of itself is telling already? Where where are the boys? You know? <laughs> crying, <laughs> Ellen. She's crying. At the...
0: No, no, that they were crying. They oh. were scared. Crying. Oh, they were. I see, crying. She that, was so. courageously showing up. Yes, yeah, like was women showing do.
2: up. And they were. Well, they were afraid of getting crucified too. Of course, that's right. Which she would have had every reason to share the same mm-hmm. fear, mm-hmm. and yet she comes. And then, of course. It's really a lovely story. She totally is confused or correct, however you want to see it. She sees a man working there and she thinks he is the gardener. And she asks him, where have they put him? So you can tell she's sincerely confused, or as I say, correct. And um, she assumes that it's not him then when he speaks her name, uh, she, the recognition comes. We've moved to the I-Thou relationship, where there's intimacy, where there's communion, where there's tenderness. Mary. All he says is Mary, the magical name in the New Testament for a woman. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm not recounting the story correctly. Uh, and then she recognizes him back as my teacher. Rabboni, it's usually translated. It, my my glorious teacher, my great teacher, my main teacher. Uh, sometimes it's called Lord, but I don't think it means Lord as such. So um, you could take almost that whole story and and see how he's trying to move her from the circumscribed body of Jesus to the universal presence of Christ. Then, when this becomes very telling, although it took me years to recognize this, you know, the good thing about being a preacher is these passages come around once a year and you've got to preach on it again. So, you read it with a little more detail or a little more prayer. And we were always bothered by what is the most painted scene in European Art Museums of Mary Magdalene, where he's saying noli me tangere" in Latin, do not touch me. Uh, and it always seemed like a sort of aloof, exclusionary. Kind
0: of a jerk move. <laughs> yeah,
2: come on, don't touch me. Uh, is he denying the intimacy, that, the closeness that they must have once experienced? But if we understand the Christ, the way we're saying, an uncircumscribable persona. I must return to my father and your father. So he's identifying his movement with what is to be her movement. Uh, My God and your God. Uh, I must go back to this universal presence. It's really all there if you analyze it theologically, that he is the gardener, He's now universally available, so don't try to grab at me mm-hmm. in one localized presence. I'm no longer one localized presence. So he's trying to lead her, we would say, to a higher level, to a universal, ubiquitous presence of God. It works, it really works. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, for me, a marvelous theological locus as they called it. A, a place where you can uncover a whole bunch of truth.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and you you name so well how that relationship shifted yes. in that in that moment, in that scene. What is the invitation for us today for us. to learn from that what the relationship was what Mary's relationship was with Jesus before and then after Do Not Cling and kind of the understanding of that the relationship with Christ is uh, a different exchange.
3: Yeah, a different what exchange. What are we being invited Good to through work. that story?
2: Wow. What, what is it saying? It's certainly giving us permission and space and invitation to do the same thing. To move from our momentary Jesus uh, without giving up our space and time Jesus to knowing that the only way you and I experience him is in a different way and that's why paralleled Mary to Paul because Paul experiences him in the different way to begin with now Mary is giving us permission to do the same you can start with what you were taught in Sunday school Jesus that's a good place to start But if you stay there, well, let's make it very practical. You will never get the social, historical, political, economic implications of the Jesus mystery. Mm. You will remain highly individualized, over-personalized. Privatized. Privatized, there's Mm -hmm. a good word. Mm -hmm. And uh, a universal presence that now is equally present in Africa and Latin America and Asia, you have to deal with that. And I think that we've shown such little respect to other religions, other nationalities, and the earth itself, the planet itself. I think much of the first 2,000 years have perhaps partially known Jesus. But they've never taken the Mary Magdalene journey from Jesus to Christ. Wow. And uh, all we can assume is that's the journey she made. Because she doesn't cling to him. Mm -hmm. She follows his directions. Okay, I can love you without holding on to you. I guess this would make a wonderful passage for teaching on non-codependency. huh? Mm -hmm. You know, if codependency is the new word for a lot of false love, can you love somebody without absolutely possessing them as your own? Mm. I think that's very mature love.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that shift into a larger relationship that is beyond that one localization. I even mm-hmm. think of like you know, um, take the marriage example where it's two people yes. and. Yeah. and they choose to have children that expands you can't hang on to what it was at an earlier stage mm. once the child yeah
2: hangs, that's right yeah. that's the first bigger circle okay now i can actually love my partner in taking care of his or her child uh doesn't have to be just looking into his eyes and going out to a valentine's day <laughs> I don't even want to talk about tomorrow I can imagine <laughs> what's going to be happening <laughs> For our listeners,
0: it's the day before Valentine's Day Today that we're recording so. Obviously we're so excited about it yes. That's why I'm
1: wearing red <laughs>
0: One of the things that you um, write about in relationship to Mary Is you say that, that inner knowing is her access point to the universal which is interesting because you just kind of described this very personal moment where he calls her name and she responds um, and that that's that's an intimate way of knowing it's an intimate inner knowing and so I guess my question is how does our normal operating mode system way of thinking way of being in the world flatten that kind of objectless intimacy oh, that's a Great word, flatten.
2: Yeah, our normal, Western, rational, educated way of knowing is to maintain the subject-object split,
3: Mm.
2: if I can describe it that way. Now, in fact, I can see reasons for that. That keeps your personality out of it, your agenda out of it. You know things objectively as an object. The irony is we have a world that thinks it knows things objectively And look at our politics, it's anything but objective. So people who think they're objective and rational clearly are not, but they think they are, you know. Uh, So what, what spiritual knowing is, is knowing things not in an objectified way, keeping them separate from you, but subject to subject, which is allowing them To know you back, to speak their dignity back to you, to maintain their some degree of autonomy so I do not control them or possess them or think I can manipulate them. In fact, I wouldn't want to do that. I want to honor them in themselves, as themselves, for themselves, apart from whether they do anything for me whatsoever. Can you see in that the real meaning of lust? That's what lust is. Mm. It's not loving the person in herself, in himself, by himself. It's okay, she can make me feel good. He can make me feel good. That is not to love her. Mm. That's maintaining the subject-object split. And the Me Too movement rightly calls that objectifying Mm. the partner. huh? Or allowing yourself to be objectified. When you allow yourself to be objectified and are content with that, You pay a big price for it (laughs) because you lose your own dignity and you think you can relate to everybody else in the same way. We call the transactional way of relating, a functional way of relating, uh, a business like way of relating. So, in this beautiful encounter with Mary Magdalene, we see a totally personal, intimate, non clinging, but truly appreciative way of relating. She allows him his separate dignity. she, He allows the same in her. Is this not the relationship between the Father and the Son, if I can speak in a Trinitarian way, the pure relationship that is the Holy Spirit? I think so. And we're so indebted to Martin Buber's book, The I-Thou Relationship. Mm -hmm. Just that distinction between I-It and I-Thou. Most of us can get that. And it helps us see that most of our relationships are I-It and probably have to be. You can't fall in love with the checkout girl at Smith's, you know. (laughs) I hope you can be nice to her, and you can show her respect, grant her dignity, but it can't be an intimate moment. So so there are degrees, but that we're at least capable of intimate moments when they're called for Mm. or allowed Mm. or possible. That's what worries a lot of us. It appears that a lot of people... I mean, I've had men admit it, middle-aged, late middle-aged men, on the men's retreats. And they usually say it with tears that I don't know if I've ever loved my wife. I've lusted my wife. (laughs) You know, I used her as an object that could excite my body. Uh, So it was still all about me. When men come to that... And I'm sure women, too. Women can be lustful, I guess. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know that we can start with love. We probably all start with lust. You know, what can his beautiful body, her beautiful body do for me? So I just want to bring it to the erotic sexual level so you know this isn't just theory. Mm -hmm. Lust is the I-it relationship love is the i-thou relationship Mm -hmm. and for most of us like mary magdalene how old was she at this point we have no knowledge but i think we can say she grew in her capacity for free love now i'm using free love in a different way than we use the term where it's really free Mm (laughs) <laughs> from like my an,
0: an unboundaried intimacy. Like you see her in that moment, and I don't mean unboundaried in an unhealthy way, mm-hmm. but in a the capacity to um, reflect that I-thou experience that she had with Jesus out at a cosmic level to then be able to recognize... Christ, universal and a, at a universal yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly
2: universal intimacy is the final contemplative goal mm. which is why i think i say in the book somewhere you can never be lonely again mm. once you can really experience that i thou walking down a path it's just every little thing can give you joy mm. yeah it really can yeah. yeah i wish people knew that
0: that's why this story moves me so much because it's so, first of all, it's so dramatic. You know, I mean, yes, you're you're yeah. with Mary in the garden. You feel her anguish at, at missing the body of Jesus. And how many of us have felt that when sure. we've lost somebody? You know, it's that sense of, but their body is gone. There's real grief. Yeah, but they're. then that awakening moment of her recognizing, oh, they, here's the Christ. And it's still personal, but it's no longer bound by this one mm-hmm. body. Um I don't know, that really helps me. And I wonder Good. is that is that part of why you you describe her as a contemplative example for us? No. Is that part of our path as contemplatives?
2: Isn't that interesting that even the Mary and Martha story, and some say those are the same Mary, it doesn't matter, as you know they're all the same Mary in a way. But that even in that story, Mary is made the contemplative symbol so I think she is the archetype of pure love the archetype of, of uh, intimate waiting long-suffering love I think all of us w- wish we knew what the rest of Mary Magdalene's life was yeah. like yeah. did she go to France uh, what did she do yeah with but uh, I guess the fact that she disappeared, into the secret of his face, as um, Thomas Merton said, uh, is probably the message that we don't hear anything more about her. Mm. The contemplative doesn't need to state a persona mm. or present an identity. Did I respond to what you said at all? Yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. I mean, we're <laughs> yes. we're
0: dancing around in, yeah. in in the story because there's so much there. But so I, much there. I think for me that moment of her ability to let go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of so much of what um, we're taught in contemplation about letting go, letting go. Um, but it's not an letting go for the sake of letting go. No. It's letting go to perceive yes. something yes. so much bigger and then to live from that perception of something so much bigger mm. and that really helps me a lot yeah.
2: that's the one of the big mistakes early christianity made letting go for the sake of letting go was made a virtue right and we didn't see the ego in that i'm strong i can let go i mean god bless you, you even see it in the desert fathers and mothers asceticism for the sake of asceticism mm. And if you read the Buddha story, that's the early path he went down. And you still see it in immature Buddhists. It's all about letting go of my thoughts as an end in itself. We would say, but what is the letting go for the sake of? We'd say for the sake of the presence revealing itself. Mm -hmm. So there's room for otherness inside of me. But just being an ascetic one who's highly capable of willpower actions that sacrifice the self. We Catholics wasted centuries on that.
1: I'm so touched by that human translation of the need to, I feel like that's what you're saying, Brie, the need to allow for relationship to grow about what it used to be, from what it used to be. From what it used to be. That's good. Knowing that's good. how we've all done that in our own ways, but for yes. me in particular just think about my, my marriage and like, I, there's different seasons to that relationship. And I've had there to let to go and mourn certain seasons yeah. so that it can actually grow into something bigger. Mm, bigger. And I feel like that is what I've learned through Mary is it's going to hurt like hell.
2: Yeah, with and, your kids too. Yeah. Okay. When they become uh, teenagers, <laughs> like no one uh, to have you in sight. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Daddy, let me off two blocks from school. <laughs> <I don't> ah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, that'll hurt, I'm sure. I remember when my dad, I don't know what age I was, but uh, I stopped calling him Daddy, which we all always called. And I said, Dad. And he said, Would you always call me Daddy? Yeah. Hmm. I said, I didn't know that meant anything to him. So all four of us to this day refer to our father as daddy. Mm. Uh, but that's what he was experiencing. That Oh God, I don't want to be their cold dad. <laughs> I want to be their daddy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, That's beautiful.
1: So I want to just circle back here to the recognition events of both Mary and Paul. And just recognizing that they come from different angles of yeah. entry points to... How they relate to Jesus and the Christ, and for myself, coming from the the way that I came in, into the Christ mystery was through my personal devotion to Jesus. Yeah. And as it, my my theological viewpoint and spirituality expanded, uh, there's p- part of me that was I would look back on that as a little naive yeah. because that yes. my, my my field is getting bigger. Me too. Right. Sure. And so how. I guess my question is, yeah, it's easy to downplay that. I'm sure that folks on the other end of the spectrum do the same thing, where they will downplay their, their cosmic,
2: cosmic entrance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: How do we trust that experience of that entry point and, and respect it for what it is? Because for myself, I've been able to come back around and really yeah. refine and reinvigorate my, that devotion. Uh, but that there's a lot of stumbling.
0: Yeah, there's periods of shame. like I think yeah. there's, there's yeah, like a time where you're kind of so Yeah, or you just it, like, I, I think you said this, but you, you feel like you were so naive or naive. like you just like, oh, <laughs> that personal Jesus thing I went through like <laughs> kind of embarrassed about mm-hmm. that. Sure sure sure. That's a great question.
2: You know in the last uh, intensive, well, you were there, Paul perhaps, mm-hmm. I've begun to switch that phrase that I've used for years from Ken Wilbur. Hoping it's an improvement on it. I now insist on include and transcend in that order. Ah. Not transcend and include. And I'm teaching this to our students. And they all just love it. Uh, The more you can include, the more your boundaries widen out. That's precisely transcendence, do you see? Mm.
3: Oh, that's good. Yeah,
2: it is. Uh, So I'm going to be reteaching that to all the students, maybe even this year at the symposium. But it's the same way here. So, okay, I'm including now even the little baby Jesus that I started with that I'm now a little ashamed of. How can I understand the baby Jesus on a mature level? God is absolute helplessness. Mm. God is powerlessness. That's good. God is total vulnerability. God is weakness. And of course, we never developed that. You know, from my Trinity or our Trinity theology, we, we had God Almighty, but we never had God all vulnerable. Mm. So to go back to even the baby Jesus and say, you know, there's an adult way that that's really beautiful. It's really good. I don't need to be ashamed of that. So I think that's what we mean in the whole school here when we, when we talk about we're not into deconstruction, except for a little while. <laughs> you got to go through deconstruction yeah. for a little while. We're into reconstruction. And it does take a while. I can see when it happens to the students, when the light goes on. Oh, Richard is not really here to be a deconstructionist, to tell us, well, the Gospels weren't really written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who cares, you know? When we're beyond that, well, we take that for granted. But that doesn't build up faith, to just keep teaching you that. Okay, the text is the text we have. Let's deal with it. Let's approach it in a spiritual way. And let Luke say it. Let Mark say it. I don't need to deconstruct. I got a couple nasty letters um, in response to my uh, daily meditations a few weeks ago where I appeared to be saying, Jesus said. And this Protestant minister says, you need to go to the Jesus seminar. Jesus didn't say that. Mark said that. I said, oh, I know that. You know, But there's no point in keep saying that. To preface, every time I say Jesus said, well, Jesus didn't really say it. John said, <laughs> you've lost your whole spiritual impact. Mm. You've created the critical mind, you see, the defend the well-defended mind that now can only half believe the text because it's Mark's words, it's not Jesus' words. Mm. Uh, you probably didn't expect me to say all that, forgive me. But I want to make the point of what we're at it in history now is what i call reordering reconstructing you can't stay at the deconstruction disorder stage more than a few years and we're seeing this tearing our country apart
0: i really i really like that nuance of include first oh, and then transcend and transcend that's, i'm glad
2: i could say it here that's really helpful because it is.
0: and it makes me think of you know Again, talking about how Mary is an example to us as as um, a contemplative example for us. Because we tend to love the letting go, right? Oh, you just have to let go. And like you said, we've turned it mm. into its own thing, unto into itself. Its thing. Yes. But, you know, we also can't let go of what we haven't clung to. And in wow. a way, ah, yes. that go moment ahead. of of clinging shows us a path of... You know, I love that line of Rilke, go to the limits of your longing. In other Mm words, we don't discard what has come before as though it didn't bring us here or wasn't the gateway to this universal moment. You know, this moment for me, when I see her in the garden, it's like, this is the path is to, to fall in love, to make mistakes, to see the wound, to name the wound, uh, in order to then be able to let it go into something bigger
2: well put uh you know i I perhaps used examples of venus too much in the book but about three days before she died she came to my bed in the middle of the night which she usually didn't do she slept in the next room i suppose my snoring kept her awake. i don't know um and i could tell she was in pain she was pushing against the bed Mm. And so I got down on the floor with her and just comes to mind clinging. Mm -hmm. I spent the whole rest of the night just holding her, clinging. I'm sorry I can't take away this pain, I know. And she seemed to take comfort in that. Mm. But if I hadn't, first of all, clung to her, I don't think the non-clinging of the moment I had to put her down Mm. would have meant anything. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You have to cling, and I've even used this as maybe a distinguishing mark of Christianity from Buddhism. Christianity says fall in love first. Mm -hmm. Take the risks of passion. We didn't teach you that, but I I think that's what it's saying.
0: The risks of incarnation. Of
2: incarnation. There's there's what it means. And then, you know what? You're going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay for it. You love those children of yours, as you do. But they are going to hurt you. They are going to move away from you. <laughs> they are going to disappoint you. And uh, the two go together, don't yeah.
3: they?
1: Yeah. you got to attach before you can detach.
2: Detach. But we had too much talk of detachment mm-hmm. from ascetic celibates who had never attached themselves to anybody. Yeah, mm. And that's what created this huge disbelief. I don't like your detachment, 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 <laughs> which even John of the cross said. But we know he was attached, at least to God. Mm. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about the symbolism of Mary needing to hear her name and mm. Paul needing to be blinded before either, wow. before either one of them could transition? Ooh.
2: See, I, I haven't given that enough thought. She needed to hear the name to move from Jesus to Christ. Because the one speaking it didn't apparently look like Jesus. It looked like the gardener. Now, yeah. okay. So her, her eyes had to be changed by a, a, an interface. And the interface energy was right. Right. That allowed her to change her eyes and to see that it was still the gardener, but it was also Christ. Okay, now Paul, who thinks he understands religion perfectly, is a Pharisaical Jew, leading him to the justification of murder. He has to be blinded for however many days to know that he was blind. Don't you think? Yeah. To find that
0: inner knowing. To
2: find the inner knowing. Yes. Very good. That that the way you see, which has led you, a religious Jew, to kill other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you realize how upside down this is? Now look how, we don't know how long he was in Arabia. Is that just in Galatians where he says, and I went to Arabia. I would call it a long extended retreat where he's shedding the Phariseeism, sharing the legalism of thinking there's only one way to understand God so that a righteous Jew would become what many call the founder of the church. is really quite amazing. The only way he could do that and move his tribal understanding of Judaism to the Gentiles, to the pagans, meant he had to redefine what seeing meant.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, that his seeing was incorrect. Mm. I bet we're talking about months. I mean, I don't know what Arabia exactly refers to, but it was certainly south of Palestine So he must have made a major trip on a camel, or I don't know. Uh, It's very telling. And and how many days before Ananias cures his blindness? I can't remember. Yeah, I'd have to go back to the text. But at least we know he's blind for a certain time. And in that period, ironically, he learns how to see. Mm. Mm. Hallelujah. Is that good symbolism or not? That's why I can't give up on the Bible. Mm. If you go to the metaphorical meaning, it's always brilliant. And uh, fundamentalists were so afraid it was losing the meaning when in fact you're finding the universal meaning normally. If you approach it with faith and
0: love. I found that to be really just stunning. And I hadn't thought about it before that they both had a liminal, not seeing time. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Mary couldn't find the connecting point that she used to have in the personal. Paul couldn't see anymore. You know, I mean, that's just, it's a profound picture of... Of what we go through often through these transitions you know as we move from the personal to the universal or or maybe we come from you know uh, I know many people who have grown up in the Catholic faith and have grown up with the social work you know Catholic worker perspective it's such a social collective frame they have a hard time finding the personal yes that's
2: very true of many liberal Catholics They're afraid to say they love Jesus mm. right? or to pray to Jesus. That's so it's interesting. Right.
0: interesting that God takes us through these journeys of not seeing sometimes and that that's part of the process that we can trust.
2: Yeah. That's the language of darkness. Mm. Uh, and, but really, for the last 500 years, that was not taught. Mm. There was no teaching of darkness. It was all the cataphatic way of light light, knowing, being certain we're paying a big price for recognizing that darkness is necessary before you can Mm. understand what light is Mm. and again as I think I say in the book light is not something that you see as such it's that by which you see everything else Mm. in fact in today's meditation I don't know what it was right now but I, I always find something wrong with what I said. <laughs> I do. It's a one thing. And I wish I would have called Jesus the flashlight that allows us to see everything else mm. in its fullness. Mm. Cuz we can all we've all walked through a dark space with a flashlight. So I wish I could rewrite it, but yeah. that's all right.
1: I just to kind of dovetail off that piece, I think I think w- why Jesus's words of "those who have ears to hear and eyes to see" like so el- electrifies me because it is that because in both those examples, where in my own life do I not have eyes to see or ears to hear what is actually being said? And it's that inner knowing that comes through when I'm able to go into those spaces of blindness or to s- be in the garden and not know who I'm seeing until that moment of recognition mm-hmm. hits. And knowing that I if I can hold on to that humility of knowing that I don't always have eyes to see or ears to hear, then I can be surprised by the way that that Christ is showing up.
2: The darkness normally reveals itself, frankly, by doing it wrong. Mm. You understand? Like you make a, a racist remark and you say Where did that come from? Mm -hmm. My God, there's a part of me that actually is racist. And you got to feel for two weeks like an idiot. You understand? That's, don't make the darkness too airy fairy, a kind of thing. It's almost coterminous with sin in many cases. You got to do it wrong before you understand what right is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I say sin and salvation are correlative terms I know a lot of people would disagree with me on this but I'm not sure you don't have to sin yeah I think it's part of the deal Mm -hmm. I really do Mm -hmm. and sin is part of the deal Mm -hmm. and that's Paul's notion of sin if I can write about it soon I hope to this tragic ridiculous absurdity that we're all caught up in that we aren't right, we're wrong constantly, yeah. and it's that being wrong constantly that God uses to turn us around. Oh, that's good. That's so good. Why didn't someone tell me that when yeah. I was young? Though?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so full of grace. It is. Yeah. But it's so obvious. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, wow. and to forgive me.
0: me. I feel like I keep bringing up Taylor. I'm like I'm showing my hand here, at how obsessed I am with his work, but he talks about sin in a similar way like you just did he says he says you know if you think about all of us in this journey of evolution the statistical chance of trial and error of making mistakes and he talks about evolution as kind of groping around in the dark testing out different possibilities and that feels to me like and that's how he describes sin is that the trial and the in the error, groping around in the dark there's going to be mistakes there's going to mm-hmm. be failures there's going to be um yeah things that don't go well and i find that i don't know why that helps me feel a sense of uh a staff a fellow staff member says cosmic okayness mm-hmm. cosmic okayness in that okay this is part of this is part yeah, of the journey that we're going to be kind of groping around we're gonna screw up <coughs> yeah. and if
2: we don't forgive one another when we are in those places and we always will be we are condemning our, our brother or sister to stay in their shame mm. they will remain there and we have the, the key along with Peter to let people out of their prisons that's why I say forgiveness is absolutely central to the collective emergence of higher consciousness <laughs> if we keep people in their shame by reminding them how wrong they are and isn't that almost our image of Christians mm, mm-hmm. mm. reminding people of how wrong they are forever yeah but I want to show how our politics is just as stupid as as we because we didn't teach forgiveness we hold people in the stupid identity they were in college. Mm. Well, I hope we've all grown since college. Uh, but we le- and this is why, in my opinion, both Jesus and Paul are so hard on the law. Because mm. you just use the law. There's no, there's no wiggle room. Right. Law doesn't give you any room for grace. And if it's necessary to make mistakes before you know what the light is, then we've got to live in a different arena than law, the ocean of grace. Mm. But I think in my own church, my goodness, what it almost meant to be a confessor was to be a canon lawyer
3: mm.
2: and to tell people you know whether their marriage was was legitimate or illegitimate or, Valid or invalid, and how they could get an annulment. Oh, just it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're teeing us up perfect here for transitioning to talking about Paul uh, and really diving into your words about him and the universal Christ. And one thing that you said is. You talk about reading Paul as a witness to both personal and cultural transformation, which is not how he's normally read. No, no. And it's such a helpful and different lens. Yeah. How does this help us understand his revolutionary vision rather than being the moralizing taskmaster that he's often portrayed as?
2: You know, I think, thank God I footnoted in the book, this Lutheran, wasn't he Swedish, bishop, Krister Stendhal, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. One of your people. I'll I'll claim him. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was Swedish. Certainly he was Scandinavian. And for scholars, his rather small book, Paul and the Introspective Conscience of the West. Hmm. And this had to come from a Lutheran. A Catholic could have never said this, Hmm. but he's a scripture scholar respected by all. And as a Lutheran, he says you know, we wasted 500 years on this privatized notion of Luther's justification by faith. Because I don't think that's what Paul is talking about at all. He really makes the case in a rather small book. He said, that's the introspective conscience of a guilt-ridden German Catholic. He didn't say that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we as Catholics, he was a good Augustinian monk. He just believed what we told him. It was all about merit and achievement. So thank God he discovered grace. But unfortunately, he took the whole message to the individual level. And once we can break our addiction to reading Paul that way, you, I can tell you understand Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul. What a, uh, what a surprise. <laughs> Since uh, you already said it in the way you asked the question. Mm-hmm. Unlock yourself from that Uh, filter, that lens and recognize, my God Paul is talking about human history society, the future he's an evolutionary thinker Mm -hmm. he thinks Jesus has come to change history Mm -hmm. (laughs) not to save souls for heaven Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, to set us on a course that would bring heaven here. So even think of the way we talk. Going to heaven. (laughs) Going to heaven as an individual soul. Even there we separated soul from body. Uh, Going to heaven meant you had to leave earth. So what does that leave unsacred and bad? Earth. You know? I mean just read Hal Lindsay's horrible books called The Late Great Planet Earth. I'm sure you never read them.
0: Well, now that you've sold us on them, yeah. but can't, can't wait to pick that up.
2: Instead of ending with the wedding banquet, mm. we end with devastation. That's about as contrary to the gospel as I can imagine. Mm. And there's a whole generation of American and American-trained Christians worldwide who are praying that Armageddon comes quickly. <laughs> and thank God we've moved the capital to Jerusalem because that's one of the signs of the great war that we're hopefully encouraging to happen because that will bring about the great war and we Christians can be raptured into heaven. It, it really, God must just cry. You know, you've heard me say in many contexts, If you want to tell a lie and get away with it, tell a really big lie. Mm. Well, the really big lie that American Christianity has exported to much of the world is that this is all heading toward apocalypse now. mm? Toward a giant devastation in which only a few will be saved. All the animals will burn in the fire. The planet itself will be destroyed by fire. No wonder... So many Americans have mental illness. I mean that. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be clever. Mm-hmm. They said the, the rate of suicides among military and policemen is now at an all time high because the, every day they have to see the seamy, incoherent side of life. And after a while, they just can't take it and they go home and shoot themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the whole thing is going to hell in a handbag, which is what Hal Lindsey seems to have told us, where this guy got all this authority. But you know, his books were bestsellers yeah. for 15 years, 20 years. Whole generations grew up on this garbage. Uh, and of course, I always bring my Teilhard, which is Bonaventure, 13th century. I challenge you, read Bonaventure. No mention of hell, no mention of punishment. It's just cosmic optimism. Yeah, We've got good teachers. And they're the perennial tradition. But that is, I mean, again, to make a connection, that the part of the world that had totally justified human slavery and created a religion that justified human slavery by the bible yeah that we would take it even seriously i'm not talking about individuals mm-hmm. cuz i met holy people much holier than i from alabama and mississippi but the collective notion is is hardly christianity at all mm-hmm. it's almost anti-christianity mm-hmm. once you can justify the torture and enslavement of other human beings, you're no longer in the Jesus arena, mm-hmm. and yet this is the very group that is the most righteous about how right they are mm. and how saved they are. Mm-hmm. Scary, really.
1: Mm. I think that's why Paul's vision is so helpful, kind of pointing towards the corporate right, because if it's yes individualized, Keep going back to that, thank you. Then, then it's. Um, that person's evil. That person's racist. Instead of like, yes. we have this whole system that's set up from from racist. Well, and you principles. and I have
2: profited from racism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Paul's the way I'm reading you through this book is you're pointing to Paul's saying saying it's that corporate this corporate hate. level, yeah, and that we can get sidetracked by focusing on the individual I'm trying to go to heaven. Yeah. Oh,
2: pray that I can. I know it's only several paragraphs yeah. in the book, but this deserves a whole monograph. So people have no doubt what Paul is saying, or at least what I think Paul is saying. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't move this whole Christian religion to the natural basis and to a corporate level, I really don't see what good it is. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I don't see how it's the hope of the world Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It's going to justify further enslavement. I mean, look at the amount of Americans that are all for racism right now. Mm-hmm. And most of them appear to be Christians. They have found the appropriate scriptures that justify this narrowness.
0: Mm. I think that's why I, I'm so moved by this work of yours, Richard, is, is that it gives us the basis, not just for a positive um, uh, view, worldview, right? That a cosmic sense of belonging, but it also points to what's getting in the way Of the Mm -hmm. cosmic belonging. And so it's both uh, a return to a deep interconnected identity here on this planet as a Christ soaked world. Well put. But it's also pointing to here are the corporate evils, Mm. these systemic sins that are getting in the way of seeing the Christ soaked world or living the Christ soaked world. Ditto
2: your point. I would go even further and say it's primarily. The corporate sins. Mm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're the big ones. What I call, and we'll call in the new book, the world and the devil, Mm -hmm. where we put all our concentration on the flesh, the individual sins of people. Mm. I mean, I hope you're not looking at playboy. I hope you're not gambling. That's nice. But just you being pure and you being holier than thou... It's not going to save the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you question the whole world of pornography Mm -hmm. and the subject-object split that's there.
0: Or dare tackle capitalism. Yeah, Yeah. or
2: capitalism being the really big one. That, at least for Americans, is unquestionable. Mm -hmm. It's the God that is too big to fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've, we've made the word socialism... An evil word. All you have to do is pull it out. (gasps) Socialist. Most, I don't know what you had in Spain, but most European countries have a Christian Socialist Party. Christian Socialist Party. They don't have any trouble putting the two together. But America, no, sir, never the twain shall meet. I've told you the story. My first week in the novitiate, when I was 19, I am sitting there in my little brown robe, so happy to be a Franciscan. I'm a novice master. One of the the first days of the week, when he says, well, boys, you have now become communists. (laughs) Well, this is 1961. I mean, communists. We didn't know what to do with that, you know. We grew up communism. He says, "You do know we now own everything in common, right? And we give away all excess to the poor, right? You own nothing if you're going to take these vows." He really played it out, and I never forgot that. I'm a communist. Hmm. But ours was voluntary poverty mm-hmm. as opposed to involuntary poverty, which I know makes a big difference. But even the, the, the Franciscans had the courage at that point to call, to call us communists. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had a freedom to recognize, hey, there's something real good here about sharing all things in common.
1: Okay. And you, you keep this thread going in the universe of Christ. I want to read a couple of quotes here before a question. You write I would insist that the foundation of Jesus' social program is what I call non idolatry, oh, yes. or the withdrawing of your enthrallment from all kingdoms except the kingdom of God. So non attachment is the freedom from full or final loyalties to man made domination systems. So when I read that, I see myself wanting to participate in that freedom of the kingdom of God as you've portrayed it here. And then to name these virtues of non-idolatry as a practice for prophetic right-seeing of systems or maybe what we're calling corporate sin. And then non-attachment as personal creative agency and service to the world or the Christ-soaked world. Am I catching onto the vision that you're naming that comes from the, the other Paul?
2: The other Paul. The other Paul, good. I'm glad you put yourself in his club. You deserve to. Uh, I'll tell you why I seem to define it almost negatively, non-idolatry. Because if you define it positively, so-called, you get into this oppositional. I have to fight against the pagans, the idols, the... It, it creates oppositional energy. You're back in what Cynthia would call the law of two. I'm now the righteous one attacking the kingdoms of this world. This is Cotton Mather again. This mm. is you know, medieval Catholicism. The world became a bad word. But simply non-idolatry is much more honest when you withdraw your enthrallment from capitalism. It's no longer above question. I'd be quite content with that, do you understand? Yeah. And it doesn't encourage uh, righteousness, non-idolatry of the military industrial complex. I mean, forgive me, all these crying when we sing the Star Spangled Banner. That's idolatry by every biblical definition. Because uh, the people on the other side of the Rio Grande aren't crying when they sing that song. Um, but see, we can't even see that. And a lot of people hate it when I say that. Because they are on bended knee before a whole bunch of idols. To really be non-worshiping of any false idol would be one way of describing a believer. right? that there's only one, only God is good. (laughs) And when Jesus even says this of himself, why do you call me good? Stop this good stuff. God alone is good. There's one absolute which makes everything, everything, everything else relative. Mm -hmm. That includes the papacy, Pope Francis, the Catholic Church. I'm just looking at the Catholic idols our style of worship and our style of architecture, whatever things we've idolized.
0: Patriarchy.
2: Patriarchy, yes. How did I forget that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we've all done it, mm-hmm. and it's just what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're always threatened by otherness. Mm-hmm. That's the most broad way I can say it. That we're in so encapsulated within this ego-self, that whenever we meet, not me, we're threatened. Mm. You know, uh, a Methodist way of doing it or, you know, a Lutheran way of doing it or a Catholic way of doing it. it's just, it's got to be my way. I did it my way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Frank Sinatra, for teaching us the gospel. (laughs) I did
0: it my way. That's, I mean, what's that's so powerful then to to flip it and to hear like what are we, you know, what if non-idolatry, non-attachment? What are we attached to? What are we Mm -hmm. idolizing? Mm -hmm. And then I'm understanding these things now as that which is not only getting in the way of my experiencing the universal Christ, but getting in the way of manifesting. the universal Christ, or affirming the universal Christ in others, as you were saying. Yeah,
2: you'll stay in a very small pond, Mm. and a pond largely of your own making, of your own mind, and other homogeneous people who have a mind just like you do. Mm. What good is it? I don't know how else to say it. How has it taken us so long to see that? The radical narcissism of the human person. Mm. Threatened by anything that's different than me mm. and my group,
0: I think that um, you know when you say in your book that Christians are not so much leaving Christianity as leaving the church in favor of realigning with groups that are living out these mm. kinds of values in the world in a concrete way. Um, everything in me was like, "Yup," <laughs> it it just resonated so deeply.
2: Yeah, I just... uh. Well, you know how I love animals. And so probably one of the primary channels I watch on TV are the several animal channels. And uh, I get the sense that these people desperately... I mean, some of them stay up all night feeding a little kangaroo that's been abandoned by its mother. Maybe they left the church... But they haven't left Christ. That's right. Where does this love energy come from? Mm -hmm. To love an abandoned kangaroo Mm -hmm. at cost to myself. I see it constantly in people who are, are serving the poor. And less and less do they go to church. And I'm not trying to send people away from church. But you want to surround yourself with people who share your same values. And they realize that the, the, the guys who care about you know the oceans being one-third plastic now are not the people who go to church. Mm-hmm. So I'd sooner be with the, the people who are saving the oceans. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years oh. if we didn't do something about the plastic in the mm-hmm. ocean? And it's still considered a oh, politically correct issue or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they haven't left Christ. In many cases, when I see the goodness of their heart and the caring of their spirit, you've heard me speak, there's outflowing people. Mm -hmm. You can recognize them in the first 30 seconds of meeting them. And there's in-sucking people. I don't think in-sucking is a word, but I've been using it. And you can recognize them, you know. They won't smile at you. Yes. Next. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But uh, they're not going to give a night of their life to feed a a little baby kangaroo, you understand? Mm. So uh, the one who does is an outflowing, and a flow is a good verb to describe the energy of God Mm. flowing through you, into you, and out from you. Then it's not hard to recognize Christ people. They're inside the flow. Uh, They're not... Stopping the flow. Yeah, I recognize it because I took this trip to give this retreat last week and had to take several planes and go through airports. <laughs> I recognize, and I've just learned this automatically. I look at the counter, and I decide before I, what line I get in, where the the gal or the guy has a smile on their face. Why would you go to the line? where she's just next, you know, you wouldn't. Why would you waste your time? She's just, I don't want to get you out of her face. You go to the line, of the, and off neither of her are smiling, which is often the case, uh, you just have to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying is the recognition of Christ energy is second nature to you. Mm-hmm. This does not take a theology course, right? Well,
0: and I just love that you present... God and Christ is not being threatened by needing to have the label. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we don't need this label. I can't waste
2: time on that. Yeah, we
0: don't need the Christian label in order to see Christ people in Mm -hmm. the world, and they don't need the label in order to be Christ people in the world. That's that's powerful cosmic vision. It really is.
2: And, And people say, "Well, are you throwing out the church?" No, I'm really not. I still think there need to be some trainers to keep shooting it out there into mm. the universe, you understand? And some of these people are coming back to the training camp in the second half of life mm. to find spiritual vocabulary for what they've experienced working or what they needed to have to keep working, to deplasticize the oceans mm. or whatever it is they're doing.
1: It also feels like the invitation is to remove the period at the end of the definition of what church is and yeah. expanding and say, Thank there's you. church there, there's Thank church you. there, yeah. even though it's not within the building itself, mm-hmm. which is a lot more life-giving to be able to, to recognize church, in quotes, um, outside of how it's been traditionally kind of manifested in, in yeah. the American West. And also knowing that that seems to be Paul's vision. He's not necessarily he really trying to set up buildings, but... Christ people with a different consciousness an alternative consciousness. consciousness yes that's
2: right mm. yeah i i think it's fair to say if someone is hearing this conversation we're having now with an even open mind they can they can see how true it is that you you don't have to be educated in scripture to recognize love people and dead people mm. Uh-huh. And you know the wonderful scripture that Jesus gave us is, don't believe those who say low here, low there. I don't know if it's translated that way in your Bibles, but uh, as it he's almost telling us, don't try to localize this truth. He's talking about the kingdom of God. in any one place, it's not limited to place. It's a relationship flow between, And you can't capture the between. Mm. (laughs) How you're relating uh, to the people in Central America, to the people who are undoing our democracy. That's the mystery. And you can never say she has it, he has it. He's allowing it. He's allowing the flow to flow through him Mm. to build bridges. But what's... Half of our country obsessed with, forgive me, building a wall. I mean, you want to talk about a metaphor for non-gospel. That Christians would not recognize the delusion of building a wall. And even the arrogance in the original statement. And then have other people pay for it. It's like the completely self-centered personality. I want to protect myself but at your cost. Mm-hmm. Would you pay to protect me so I can have my world that that Christians don't see the you know pathological narcissism in that is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm.
0: I wonder if we were to to say instead of, I'm a Christian, I'm a christener, you know? No, Have that's a, nice. Am I someone who that's is nice. christening others christening or christening reality. the world? Christening just
2: baptizing everything yeah. with the mystery. Yeah. Well, it's like I say in, in today's meditation, I think. Uh, my definition of a Christian, I think it's in the book, is one who sees Christ everywhere mm-hmm. else.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I challenge you to misuse that quote. It's just, <laughs> oh but I don't know I can do it but you can't use that for ill purposes do you, mm. you can't use that to exclude to condemn, to hate um, maybe that's why it took us this long to see it mm. I don't want to see Christ and everybody else
1: <laughs> it brings us back to Paul and Mary Magdalene both with that recognition moment right of seeing mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm.
2: yes, perfectly said yeah. both of them until seeing becomes recognizing I think I say that in the Just This book. Uh, You don't have seeing. It's just visual, you know, light entering your retina. But until it becomes a new gestalt, oh my God, what is this I'm seeing? What is this saying about the nature of reality? That's recognizing. And I suspect that's what we originally meant by the word belief. To believe was to go beyond the seeing to the full recognizing of what it signifies or what it says or where it's leading me. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Well, to wrap up this conversation, Richard, which has been so rich, I wanted to ask, where have you had a Damascus or garden moment this week where Christ showed up, either personally or cosmically, in a surprising way?
2: Well, it's embarrassing because it includes one of the persons in this room. But when uh, four of you came over to my house to welcome me back to town and over a beer, which helped a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they hadn't seen the new copy of the universal christ book and they had heard i had the first copy which they sent to me and i sat there they were all on the floor i was in a chair drinking their beer How and wa- very why, <laughs> yeah, watching madeline do her little dances uh just why are they getting so exciting i'm going to get all the credit for this book i'm going to get all the praise and um, and they're excited about it. I, Michael couldn't put it down. Yeah. Just, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. And then looking at the names on the, you were just taking satisfaction in everything. Mm-hmm. I, I still am overwhelmed by people who care about other people more than themselves. You know, that it wasn't their book, even though they all contributed a lot to me being able to write this. But there's my big name on the front. I'm going to get all the notice. But that excited them. Another Paul. Paul is the magic name around here, you know. (laughs) Um, and Michael and Bree. I don't know if Madeline was excited about that. She's she, more
0: excited about your toy dog. <laughs>
2: and her princess outfit. But to just see three adults relishing this book coming out. Mm-hmm. Just, that was a gardener experience. You know, who are these people who care that much? And why should they care about me? Or the message. You know, I think I said that early on, and I will stop on this. Have you all read, I'm sure you partner people have, the Love Signs book? Oh, yeah. You, I'm not going to ask you to reveal what your love sign is, but it's, a, let me, getting a gift, uh, the quality memories. time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Touch is one. Touch. Mm-hmm. Um, is it compliments or? Yeah,
0: maybe. Words of a, affirmation? Words affirmation. Words of
2: affirmation. Say. What are the one we're missing? The fifth love sign. Money. Money. No, it's a yeah. gift. Yeah. We'll think of it before we leave. Yeah. But I realize, and I think this is true. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved? I enjoy being loved. But I am more excited about people who love my message. Mm. Mm. I really am. People, uh, you know, you're some wonderful examples of it. Those are the people that I have no trouble giving my heart to. I mean, you've been loving my message for how many years now, Paul?
1: Eleven, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He used to transcribe it in days, just a little back room. We were nobody. Well, we're still nobody. Uh, Yeah, and you came to the school, Bree, without even knowing me face-to-face at all, because you cared about the message. Mm -hmm. That would be my love sign. And I don't need... For them to say they love me, it's nice. I don't need it. Mm. It's just, that's all I need to know that you're trusting what I know is the good news. <clears throat> and we're lucky to have a circle of those people on staff. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's a long answer to your short question. M- my Damascus gardener moments are when I see people in love with what I'm in love with, knowing it is no advantage to them mm. per se, yeah.
1: Thank you, Richard, and we do love your message and we, we do love you, you too. Show now.
2: That's true. <laughs> thank you, thank you.
0: The beautiful music you're listening to is provided by Bird Talker. Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation Thanks to the generosity of our donors.
1: If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. If you want to learn about these ideas in more depth, check out the Universal Christ resource collection at universalchrist.org from the high desert of New Mexico. We wish you peace and every good.